tea and a flat cap on or something, shouldn't I? It's a little, it's a little mismatch there. All right. You got to work on that. Actually, that would have looked even worse, as you know. Many of you, many of you are thinking, oh, dear God in heaven, don't let him do that. Right? I know. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Hey, I want to do a couple of things before we launch into our, our message tonight. I want to do a couple of giveaways. One is that uh, just talking about this WhySaturday.com uh, initiative that we, we, we've been doing, uh, that before the service, I met Abby, and, uh, and so I was talking with her, and, 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 uh, and she got here a little early, and so we were chatting a little bit, and she was talking about how she was in a store on her break from her work, and she found a friend, and, and her friend who goes to a different church, but in talking with her, recommended, you need to go visit City Life. And, uh, and so that, it was at the same day, the same day she saw a car, or Yesterday, that happened yesterday, and then today, she saw a whysaturday.com on the back of somebody's window. And uh, so she's like, God is speaking to me to go to this church. So I'm just giving her a Starbucks gift card, a little giveaway for Abby for joining us. That's cool stuff, isn't it? So, and then I have, I'm going to do a couple here. I'm just going to leave them up here uh, for Tyler Lee and then also for Will Anger is that uh, we, we uh, blew some uh, subwoofers out last night at the Uprising, which is what you're supposed to do at a hip-hop concert. And so uh, Tyler was, has been crawling around under here all day getting those uh, new subwoofers reconnected. I told him, I said, you should hide under there. And then during the service, you could start to talk. And then revival would break out. They're like, oh, no, right? So, but obviously we decided against that. But, but it was funny. It was funny. Hey, I just want to encourage you, the door hanging event. I have one of them up here. I know that I just talked about it, but we're serious about it. Do, do what you can to move your schedule around. Just an hour together next Sunday, 10 a.m., we're going to meet at the bank parking lot over here on the corner, and, uh, and we're just we're going to go into a neighborhood. It'll just take about an hour, probably about two hours of your time when you think about driving and coming back, uh, but putting these door hangers uh, for people and just doing some practical things to get that invitation to church out there, and then the reach cards again, uh, just doing some practical things. So if you're with us, then, then you know that, that, uh, that tonight and next week are welcome weekends for us, meaning that, that we're going to be talking about who we are as a church. And, I, and, I, and sometimes it, it's, it can be a little bit repetitive if you've been here, but it's not going to be that way tonight because I felt like God gave me something uh, a couple of weeks ago that was supposed to uh, just speak to five callings that we have as a church. Next weekend, it might be some things that you've heard before, but I believe if you call this church your home, you can never hear about our vision too much because it's supposed to be a part of who you are. You're supposed to be able to take that and talk to other people about it. So we'll see how far we get into these five callings tonight. If we don't get all the way through, we'll push some of it into next week. But before we get into that, I, I want to share with you a verse as I was just kind of hanging out this morning, uh, just, just relaxing, having my coffee, I, just, I felt the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Say, Fred, make sure you read your, your, your Bible plan this morning. Don't wait till tonight. Read, read it this morning. Just felt that prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, and so I was you know, catching up on ESPN and watching the news. And so just the Holy Spirit, hey, read what you're supposed to read this morning. And so just learning how to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I grabbed my iPad and began to read. And, I, and, and it's in a Ezekiel chapter 21, and, and in, verse, in verse 8, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Son of man, give the people this message from the Lord. A sword, a sword is being sharpened and polished. It is sharpened for terrible slaughter and polished to flash 
like lightning. Now I'm going to just stop there. And as I read that, as I hope it happens for you sometimes when you're reading the Bible, that there's just something stirs in your heart about a verse. And then that would prompt you to begin to think about that verse. Maybe do a little bit of study. Maybe begin to reflect on that and meditate on that. So for the rest of the morning in the house, I had stuff to do around the house. Like you got stuff to do around your house. And just as I was doing that, I was meditating on that verse. God, what, 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 there was something significant in there for me that the sword was both sharpened and polished. There was something prophetic that was in there. And it was a couple hours later, I just felt like God spoke to me and said, Fred, the City Life Church is an instrument in my hand. Just like the sword was an instrument in, in, in the hand of the soldier. He said, the City Life Church is an instrument in my hand, and it's supposed to be both sharpened and polished. And he just went on to begin to encourage me. He said, said Fred, the, the, the church is a sharp church in the sense that ministries are effective. People are being reached. Excellence is champion. We've got leaders who are gifted and talented and called of God. There's a sharpness to who you are. Now, it just encouraged me. So I'm just encouraging you because this is your church too. And God was just speaking over the, those of you that are leading and serving and working. There's a sharpness to who you are. And I want to say thank you for that. And, but, but then there was this idea, what is this, what's this thing about it being polished? What, what does that mean? Because in our Western culture, when we say something is polished, that's a little bit negative. Are you with me? Because it means that maybe it's a little bit too polished. It's a little bit too maybe practiced and put on. But that's not what this verse means. This sword was polished in this prophetic image so that when it was drawn, that everyone there knew exactly what it was. The sword's removed from its sheath that everybody there knew that's a sword. So the prophetic imagery in this picture is that a polished sword represents authenticity. It represents transparency. Isn't that an amazing picture of what a church is supposed to be? It's supposed to be sharp, and it's supposed to be polished. And I want our church to be a polished church, that there's transparency as it is with our finances. There's authenticity with our leaders, that what you see is what you get. There's not a show that when you run into us in Walmart or Target in our neighborhood, when we're going for a walk and on a bike ride, you're going to find the same people that are here as you're going to find us there. There's consistency with who we are. A church, in order for it to be an instrument in the hand of God, needs to be sharp and it needs to be polished. And so, Father, let it be that you would continue to help us to fulfill that word that you're speaking over us. We want to be a church that's sharp. We want to be a church that champions excellence for your glory. We want to be a church that's effective in ministry, just as we come out of this series on the Holy Spirit. We want to rely on you so that there is an anointing on our lives, so that the ministry that we do can cut deeper than it could on our own. Father, we want to be polished. We want to be authentic. We want to be trends parent, when that people come in as visitors, God, that they're going to see who we are, that there's not anything, that there's no pretense about us, God. Help us to walk into that authenticity. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Well, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Now, this is a calling of the disciples. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I want to read it and then I want to give a little bit of commentary, and then I want to share something else that I believe is a little bit of a prophetic moment for somebody that's here. And then again, we'll see how far we get into the five callings that we find in this text that I feel like God spoke to me that we're supposed to be a part of this, this weekend. All right, so verse 1 
Verse 1. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, your Bible might say Genesaret. That's another uh, name for the Sea of Galilee. It's the same place, same location. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So we sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Verse 5, Master Simon replied, we have worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. And really what he's thinking is, I'm a fisherman, you're a carpenter, don't tell me what to do, right? But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. We're going to talk about why he deferred to Christ in that moment. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were so filled with fish, they were on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him, his partners James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who also became two of the twelve disciples. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishers, fishing for people. And as they landed, they left everything and began to follow Jesus. Now, I don't know what your study Bible, if you've got a study Bible, might say, but it might give a footnote that says, hey, this same account is offered to us in both Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1. But I want to suggest to you that it's not. I want to suggest to you that this is not the same account and story that's given to us in Matthew 4 and Mark 1. There's two schools of thought about whether or not this repeats itself. Oftentimes in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels that gives us the complete picture of the life of Jesus, sometimes we're told about the same story in different ways from varying perspectives so that we can have a complete picture of what happened. But sometimes the, each gospel writer was empowered by the, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit to give a different story, and then we get the whole story together. And I don't believe this is the same occurrence. I believe it's different. And one of the reasons I believe that it's different is because in Matthew and Mark, there is no mention of the miraculous catch. And I think if the miraculous catch had occurred in the Matthew 4 and the Mark 1, rendering and narrative that it would have made the cut. The Holy Spirit would have included it because it's such a powerful and amazing story. The other reason why I don't feel like it's the same, the, the same moment is because that would mean that Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit to put this story, to misplace it in the chronology of the life of Jesus. When, that when you sync up all four of the Gospels, this moment happens probably months after Jesus' baptisms. Matthew 4 and Mark, uh, and Mark 1 happens just days after the baptism. Now, people that are of that school of thought, they say, well, the Holy Spirit maybe wanted to put greater emphasis on what happened, and there wasn't as much emphasis on the chronology. But if, if you read Luke and if you read Acts, you find that there was such precision in his chronology and everything else. But let me tell you why else I believe that it doesn't belong there. I believe it's a different moment because I think that God is trying to teach us something about the human heart. I think that's in a different place 
on purpose because that's when it happened. That I believe, as many people believe, that the disciples, when they first were invited by Jesus to follow him in his itinerant ministry of traveling around from place to place and preaching and teaching, they did not do that full-time vocationally right away. That they would travel with him and then they would go back to their homes. They would travel with him and then they would go back to their homes. So I believe, as many do, that the Luke 5 encounter happened months after their original initial encounter for the first time with the Messiah. And what we find here is that there was a confession of faith that happened to them that we're going to talk about later tonight. And what we see here is there is a surrendering of life. For some of you, you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. There's been a confession of faith, but there's there's yet to be a moment where you're willing to lay it all down and follow him in every area of your life. And I think that this story is placed perfectly in the gospel of Luke because Jesus is saying that same thing to us. Make a confession of faith. Yes, it's important. It secures heaven for us in our tomorrows. But if there's going to be heaven on earth, have you gotten to the place like Peter does in this moment and says, I'm willing to do whatever you ask? It's a powerful moment in Peter's life, and it's a powerful story for us. I love how Jesus gets into Peter's boat and doesn't ask for permission. You like that? I want you to, tomorrow, since you don't have to go to church on Sunday, right, go to a marina somewhere. There's lots of them. And just walk down a dock and just go get on somebody's boat. Just go get and just see what kind of response you're going to get, Right? Are you kidding me? I love this story that Jesus steps on to Peter's boat. Now, this is one of the reasons why I think he knows Peter. But I also like even the fact that he knew Peter, he did not ask for his permission. Jesus does not need our permission to get into our lives. He does not need our permission to step into our story. He does not need our permission to get into our journey and to position himself. But what I like about this narrative is if if you were to keep reading it, Jesus goes from inserting himself into a place that he's not sought permission to get to, to transitioning into place to a making requests of Peter. He asks him if he would push the boat out. He asks him if he would launch the nets again. I like this because this is what Jesus does for you and me. He does not seek our permission to step into to our lives, but then he seeks a permission-giving relationship with us. Not that he requires that in his sovereignty, but because he's not looking for spiritual slaves. He wants us to choose to love him. He wants us to reciprocate. For many of you men, when you were dating your wife, you didn't seek her permission to show up in her world in some way, but you knew that was a fine line. You track it with me? You would, you would enter into her world in some way to let her know that you were interested, but, but then there's permission that has to start. There's not an accident. The Bible calls us the bride of Christ. He steps in to say, let me capture your heart. But then as he's there, he invites us to then to begin to give him permission to yield to him and to do what he asks us to do. I want to share with you this, this idea because I think it's, it's poignant for some of you who are here that, that, that you might be praying for your husband, you might be praying for your wife, you might be praying for your boyfriend, your fiancé, your children, a family member, a neighbor or friend, an old college roommate. The list goes on and on. We all have people that we're praying for who are going to make a vow of devotion to Christ. And, and I think sometimes, I know I do, maybe I'm just talking about myself, we get frustrated because we feel like Jesus isn't moving fast enough. 
We want the moment where Peter falls at Jesus' feet and says, my whole life, I'm giving it to you. We want that to happen in whoever this person's life that we're praying. We want it to happen yesterday. And I feel like this is a prophetic moment that for some of you that, that God is saying to you, he knows what he's doing. Whoever this person is that you're praying for, he's got the timing all worked out. We're supposed to keep praying. We're supposed to keep prophesying and declaring and believing. We know that every person in the world that Jesus has stepped up to them because the Bible says that it's God's desire that none should perish, but he's waiting for their heart to be tender and to yield to us. So you keep praying, but celebrate the little steps. Don't give up and get frustrated. Maybe you've been praying for years for this person to make a confession of faith or to maybe they've had a confession of faith, but they've not yet had a full surrendering of all that they are. And what I would say is begin to pray that their heart would be so tender to Christ that they would begin to yield to him and don't give up. That day is going to come and Jesus knows what he's doing. All right, let's talk about these callings. You ready? Some of you are like, you haven't started yet. No, I've started. All right, I've started. All that was in my notes. Don't get nervous. Don't get nervous. All right, so let's talk about, let's, talk, let's read verse 2. Let's read verse 2. Verse 2 says this. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. Now, I'm going to insert this because we know they were fishing boats because then it says they were fishermen. So he noticed two empty fishing boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. How many, how many of you have ever been on a cruise? Anybody? How many of you have ever been on a cruise, right? All right, now how many of you have also paid me all, ever been to like an all-inclusive resort, right? Where you pay one price on the front, all right? So, so listen, we like participation here at City Life. You raise your hand, I'll point to you. What are some things about either a cruise or say like an all-inclusive resort that you like? What, what, what is it you like about something like that? Let's start over on this side, somebody. So a lot of hands come up, don't get, see that's why I trick you. I had you raise your hand and now you have something to say. Nate, everything's free. Once you get there, you gotta pay, right? A lot of people are like, I need to go on a cruise, right? Somebody else. The food. The food. It's, it's good. And there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. Somebody else. There's lots of choices as far as restaurants. Lots of choices, restaurants, places to go. Somebody else. Lots of hospitality, Alvin. No tipping. That's right. You pay on the front end. Is that, is that what you said? Yep. No tipping. No tipping. Although they would like that you would, right? Even though it's a rule. That's a rule. Somebody else. Anybody else? Somebody over here? Nathaniel? A whole, yeah, you don't, it's just, you don't have to think about anything, right? You wake up and you just do whatever the day brings. Some of you are searching on your phone for a cruise right now. Come back to us. Go back to your Bible app. Get off of orbits. All right, somebody else. Somebody else. What's something that you like about a cruise or an all-inclusive resort? Anybody? Clem? Turn down service. Did he say towel hand? Oh, towel animals. Nice. Yes. Felicia doesn't do towel animals at the Heffern house? No? All right. Just got to get on that. Somebody else. Somebody else. Cruise, all-inclusive resort. Anybody else? Anybody else got anything? Being waited on. Yes. Come on, right? Just point at people. They come. They do what you want. Yeah. The church is not a cruise. Mm -hmm. And you all said, he got me again. I don't like this church. They get me. It's not a cruise ship. 
Everything in the Bible for me is instructive. You've, you've got to decide how much you believe is instructive. I, be, I believe it's all instructive. They had boats back then that were for pleasure cruises. They had, people took vacations then. There, there were ships there that people could get on and just, and just travel. Jesus could have gotten one of those boats, but he didn't. He didn't. He got in a working vessel. He got in a boat that requires some effort. Church was never intended to be a cruise ship where we show up and do all the things that we just said. It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be a place of labor. It's supposed to be a place of work. When Tyler Lee came out from under that platform just filthy, dirty, and sweating and stepped up into our circle time for pre-service prayer, I thought, come on, what an awesome picture for what we're talking about tonight. There's supposed to be people that are willing to say, I'm willing to put some time and some labor and some effort and some work because there are people that need the gospel of Christ. If, if, if you've been coming here for any amount of time and it's a ride for you, that's got to change. Now, I want to give you six pathways. We have 12 pathways that we talk about. We'll mention that a lot in the Discovering City Life. So we're doing Welcome Weekend this weekend. We're doing Welcome Weekend next weekend. And for the three weekends after that, which are in my notes, the 19th, the 26th, and October 3rd, Vanessa's going to take you out during the sermon time into a classroom and do what we call Discovering City Life. And we'll get deep into what this idea of what we call the pathways, the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24-hour discipleship model. But I want to just give you, I want to give you six of them. There should be serving work. All of us should have a ministry that we're involved in at least once a month to help make these weekend services happen. There is a labor of serving that needs to happen in your life. There is a labor of gathering that should happen in your life. I know that, that we've all been traveling for the summer. It's a holiday weekend, so people are gone again this weekend. But next weekend, come on through the holidays and then we take, a, right, there's a little bit of, everybody's traveling to visit family, but outside of those seasons that are part of our culture, church has got to become a priority. And there's a work to it. There's a work to make it a commitment. There's a work to say, I'm going to be there. And you need to be here because there's a deposit of God that's in your life that's missing when you don't come. And the body of Christ is complete when we all, there's a work to gathering. We've got to do that work. There's a work to reaching. Now, you might be a naturally introverted person like I am. So when I'm out in the community, people don't care that I'm a pastor. I'm just some stranger. It's, it's, it's not easy for me to do reach cards either. You think, well, it must be easy for you because you're up there preaching. But those of you who are a naturally introverted person, you know that's a struggle for us. We have to labor, right, to actually talk with people that we don't know. It's not, but it's work. And we've been called to do it, so we've got to do the labor. But then there's practical ways we help with the cards and then on things like the door hanging and, and that's work that we've got to do together to reach people. This is, a, this is a working vessel. It's a fishing boat. There's the work of generosity. All of us who are committed to this church are behind it financially. It might be that you've not done the hard work yet to rearrange your finances to do the part that you're supposed to play. There's the work of praying. I hope you're praying every week. I feel like God gave me those five words to keep it easy for me because I'm a simple person. I need it for it to be simple, but show up and serve up and give up and shut up and rise up. I'm telling you, I've prayed more for the church in the last several weeks because now I, I feel like I've got something that I know that I can focus in on. I hope that you're praying every week. There's the work of relationship. Find a life group and get involved. Find a ministry that you can plug into. 
Right? Some of you, you get, you get to double down in your, in your labor, right? You, serving, the work of serving is also, you begin to build a relationship. These pathways, they begin to cross each other. There are relationships that you need. There might not be one life group that we offer that's of interest to you, but that's not why you go. You go because there are going to be people there. And you need to know them, and they need to know you. The City Life Church has a work calling that God has given to us, and we want to be found faithful in it. Verse 5. Love this story. Come on. Verse 5. Master, Simon replied, we have worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, come on. It's okay to write in your Bible. Underline that. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. Again, you should write in parentheses right there, hope. We have, as a church, a hope calling. We have a hope calling. Psalm 27, 13, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Ephesians 3, 20, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, hope is the anchor of our souls. It's the anchor of our soul. We have a hope calling here at the City Life Church that when people come into these doors, that no matter what their story is, no matter what they're going through, and if it's tragic enough, we're going to weep with them in the moment. But at some point, we're going to say, God is able. He's able. When we were at the, at the WAVE conference, there was a, a, a woman by the name of, of Darlene Crouch, and she taught on this text. She had a different teaching that she did, but when she taught on this text, that's why it kind of got on my spiritual radar. I was like, there's something in this chapter for us as a church. And one of the things that she did say, though, is that people tend to give up right before they're about ready to have their biggest breakthrough. Right? That's why it's in here. That, that Peter said, we've been working all night, Jesus. We've been fishing all night long. We're tired. We're ready to go home. We're hungry. We want to go to sleep. And Jesus says, you can if you want to. Or you can come out here with me and we can shock the world. For some of you, you are tired and you're ready to give up on your marriage on your relationship with estranged children, family members, that maybe there is offense and there's been a fracturing. Maybe it's a situation with your job and your boss, a, a church that you call home. Clearly not this church, but maybe a church you used to go to. Right? You with me? And this story's here to say to you and to say to me, don't quit. Don't, don't give up. If Jesus is in your boat with you, there's hope for something miraculous to happen. We are supposed to be a church that says to people, do not give up on your hope that if Jesus is present, there's something that could happen. And then as we get to know them and build a relationship, then maybe we've earned the right to talk to them about Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that has this powerful verse that many of you know that talks about the different seasons. And, and we like one side of the list, but we don't like the other, right? We want this to go quick and these to last long. But there's this verse, I believe it's verse 11, that says everything is beautiful in its time. Everything. 
See, there's something for us in the seasons that we don't like. It's in those times that God builds something in us. He shapes us. He changes us. He alters us. And see, we have a hope calling as a church, not just to keep people's vision alive for for what would one day come, but to remind them there is purpose in the place that you're at. It's not because God's not gotten to you yet because the line's too long and your number hasn't come up yet. It's because God has purpose in this place. We might, it might be a mystery. We might say, I don't know what it is, but God, there is purpose in everything that he has for us. We have a hope. We have a hope calling. All right, verse eight, number three. So we have a work calling. We have a hope calling. Verse eight. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner. It's in the Greek, it's hamartolos. It means that I've missed the mark. It's an archery term that if you aim and you miss, you've, you've missed it. And this is the word that the Bible uses more often than not to talk about sin. It's a life that's missed the mark. Peter's saying, my, my life is a complete miss. You shouldn't be around me. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught. We as a church, we have an usher calling that's been given to us. An usher calling. Our buddy on the Saturday Life team says he's going to recruit for us. It's a little bit different, but the same. I promise. Listen to this. John 3, 26. John 3, 26. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the men you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. Boo-hoo. They're jealous. They're not getting the attention that they used to. They used to be the reason that people would come was for them. And now the attention is shifting to somebody else. It's interesting, isn't it? They even believe that he was the Messiah, but the strength of humanity and envy can still be that strong. Listen to what John says. Gotta love John the Baptist. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it to him from heaven. So quit your crying. Just inserted that part. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Where's Andrew? I saw Andrew in here. Did your best man come up to your wedding and say, Andrew, I'm a little, I'm a little miffed with you because you and Rachel seem to be getting all the attention. Where's the love? No, because if he had said that, he wouldn't have been a good best man. Therefore, I'm not filled Therefore, listen to what he says. I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. We have an usher calling here at the City Life Church. It is not about us. It's about people having a revelation of Jesus. If people are going to serve in leadership here, they've, they've got to get uh, an idea of a window because that's what we're supposed to be. We don't want you to see us. Nobody stands in the vacation home that you ran and you're overlooking the ocean and walk up to that and the sun's setting and you're standing there with the love of your life, with whatever your beverage of choice is on vacation. And, and nobody says, 
these windows are beautiful. Right? Who does that? You don't care about the window. You want it to be clean so you can see through it. And that's how we're supposed to live our life for Jesus Christ. People that are often drawn to platform ministry, they're drawn there because they want to be seen, not at the City Life Church. Those those people can't participate in that way. they got to deal with their heart. Because if they're not a window, then they're going to draw the attention to themselves. We don't want people up here on this platform drawing attention to themselves. That's why we are, are so privileged to have the people that we do leading with us because of their heart. Because they say, I don't want you to see me, I want you to see Jesus. If you've been around Chris, any amount of time, you can't be in that conversation with him for longer than five minutes to know that that's his heart. He just wants people to see Jesus. People like David and Hannah are going to be taking over student ministries. They have this heart in them. We couldn't hire them fast enough because they want your children to see through them the Savior of the world. We have an usher calling, joking about the Saturday Life team. That's one of the reasons why that ministry is such an awesome ministry in this church. People wearing those blue shirts because they show up every week. They don't care if you see them or not. They care that you have an encounter with Christ and they give of their life and their time and their effort for you to be able to stand in the presence of the Savior of the world. We have an usher calling here at the City Life Church. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. All right, I think i got time for two more. What do you think? Verse 7. Verse 7. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. You see, I'm going to read into it a little bit here. I think what happened is the other boat came out, they started fishing too. And then all of a sudden their boat got full. And, and, and I, I like that imagery. I like this imagery because it speaks to us about another calling. We have a fleet calling here at the City Life Church. We have a fleet calling. We don't have property in a building because we can't afford one. We don't have property in a building because we have a fleet calling that God has given to us. Now, will we ever have property and will we ever have buildings? I think we will at some point in our future, but we will not buy property and we will not have a building unless it serves the vision for us to have a fleet calling. You see, we, we, we want to do this shared campus, not because it's, it's financially expedient. We want to do this shared campus primarily because it is a prophetic declaration that there is a harvest that's supposed to happen in our cities that we will never be able to gather in on our own that we want to have the boats and the water together as a prophetic prayer, as a declaration that there are people that need to know Christ. There's people that need to rediscover community. And so here we're partnering with all the five other churches that are on this campus. And on the south side, we're with Faith Lutheran. And then in Williamsburg, we're with Newtown United Methodist because we're saying there is a harvest that's too big for just one church. Let's do it together. And I believe that as churches begin to work together, there's more fish that are going to get caught. We're excited about what's going to happen in Newtown United Methodist. We're excited about what's going to happen in Faith Lutheran. And we're excited about what's happening in the other churches that are here on this campus because we have a fleet calling. And one day we are going to have buildings and one day we are going to have property. But when we have buildings and when we have properties, we are going to fill them up with other churches and other ministries. 
And you've heard me say it many times before, we'll know we'll have enough in there when we're in each other's way. And if we're not in each other's way, then we're going to add somebody else. We're going to add somebody else. I was talking to, I think his name was Ray, the young man that was out here at the Merck table. At the, uh, they don't really let us in here. We have to go out there because we look like this. And so, so we were out there selling the T-shirts and the, and the, and the, uh, and the I call them CDs. I don't even know what they call them anymore. They're not called CDs, are they? Mixtapes and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying here. I'm trying. So I was talking to Ray, and, 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 and uh, he travels with the band, and he opens for them. He didn't open here, but he usually opens for them. And he moved from, from Boston down to San Diego, and, and, uh, and, and so he's just talking about this journey and this dream that he has to use this gift that he's been given to, to reach people. And so he started asking me about me and the church and, and, and about this property. And so I explained to him what this was. And you could see he had this look on his face like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, and it was good because that's what I looked like when he was talking to me about hip-hop. And so we were exchanging this expression of, of befuddlement. And, and so, and so he said, this is what he said to me. I have never heard of anything like that before. And I said, I know. And it's sad, isn't it? And he said, yes, it is. And we want to change that in this region. We might not be able to change it in our world, in our lifetime, but we're going to put a seed in the ground of a fleet calling that churches need to have. And if Jesus doesn't come back for another 10,000 years, that we've set something into motion here at City Life. We have a fleet calling. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up while I'm giving you this last one. We have an eternity calling. This is a great story, isn't it? We have an eternity calling. See, in verse 5, Peter calls Jesus master, which is the Greek word epistates. It's E-P-I-S-T-A-T-A-C-E. You can get these notes online through our website. And it means authority. It means authority. But in in verse 8, that was in verse 5. But in verse 8, he calls him Lord, which is the Greek word kairos, which means for one to have the power to control and direct. These are different words, and there's, I believe, a reason why they were given differently in this story. Let me read to you out of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. It says, the following day, John, this is John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples, and Jesus walked by, and John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. And to the Jewish people, they understood. That was a declaration that he was the Messiah. It's the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. And Jesus looked around and saw them following and says, What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about the four o'clock hour in the afternoon, and they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John had said and followed Jesus. And Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. And then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. And looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter or the rock. See, I believe that in this moment, the disciples, they made a decision. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of the living God, and we're going to follow him with our lives. 
I believe that this is the moment of their confession of faith. Now, we know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit didn't come until much later because Jesus hadn't died on the cross. But, 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 for, but for us for today, that, that what we understand is that this is the moment that they said, we believe in who Jesus is. We believe. It's their confession of faith. See, that's why I believe that Luke 5, that, that, that I believe this happened at a different time because when he got into Peter's boat, Peter already believed him to be the Messiah. That's why he called them the master. In just a minute, we're going to stand and go into this worship set. But before we do, I'm going to give you a chance to do something because you might be here and you have never said, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And tonight can be the night that you make your confession of faith. But it doesn't stop there. In, our, in, in this Luca narrative, as we already pointed out, is because in a little while, Peter calls him Lord. And for some of you, you've made your confession of faith, but you're holding back. And you know, and you know who you are. You're holding back. And you need to say to him what Peter did. Lord, I want you to direct and control my life all day, every day for the rest of my life. Now, I know this is going to take some courage, but we like courage here at City Life. Sometimes we have people bow their heads to create a moment of privacy, but sometimes we just do it just like this because this is what living life looks like. It's for people to see. It's for people to see. If you want to read your Bible at work on your break, everybody in the office isn't going to bow their heads and close their eyes while you take your 15 minutes to read your devotions. You with me? It takes some courage. So I'm just going to ask you right now, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else, anything else. There's a gift that we want to give you at the end of the service, but that's up to you. But if you look into the story of your life and you cannot find a moment in time where you have said, that I believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, that he died for my sins, and I want to receive from him the grace that he gives, and I want to live my life as a child of God all of my day. I'm just going to invite you to stand where you are. just going to invite you to stand. We're just going to pause for a moment if you're here. If, you, if there's not been a moment of a confession of faith for you, I'm just, we're just going to pause. Just, we're not going to linger in this moment, but if you're here, I'm just going to invite you to stand. So if you're here tonight and you would say, Fred, I've made a confession of faith, but there are areas of my life that I've held back. I know that when I breathe my last, heaven is promised for me, but I know there's a lot in my boat that's on my side of the ship and I'm not ready for Jesus to have access to it yet. That, that, that there are parts of your life where you have said, Jesus, I don't want you to be the Lord of this. Because see, sometimes when Jesus is the captain of the ship like he's supposed to, he starts throwing some stuff overboard, right? And that makes us nervous. Jesus needs to be the one that decides what gets to stay on the boat in our journey. And if there's anything that he ever wants to throw away, it's not because he's robbing us of something good, it's because he's protecting us from mediocrity. So I'm just going to invite you to, just in this moment, we're not going to linger in it long. But if you're here and you would say, Fred, there's some things in my life, I know. I, I need to fall at his knees. People are already standing up. Come on. Stand up. I'm just telling you, stand up in this moment. This is your way of saying, God, I want you to have it all. I don't want you to just be my master. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to have all of it. If you're going to be in my ship, you got to be the captain. i got to take that hat off. Give it to you. Father, I pray for every person that's standing up in this moment. Father, I pray for people that maybe they didn't stand and have not yet made a confession of faith that, oh, God that that day's coming. People that are standing right now, God, who are saying to you, 
I want you to be the Lord of every area of my life. I pray, Father, that this feeling they have right now of deferring to you and yielding to you, it's going to carry over outside of here. That we know that that this is a a safe place. And and that, Father, when they leave those doors, temptation is going to be waiting for them. And I pray they would get a hold of that shut up prayer right now. They could just say to that temptation, shut your mouth. And that that rise up prayer would begin to come and that your spirit would rise up inside of them with a great sense of courage and a great sense of conviction that they would be willing to yield every, every area of their life. In Jesus' name, come on, let's all stand together and worship.